0: Hartland is joining me today, not physically, but here telephonally. Um, Steve, what's going what on, What was man? that word? Tele- Tele- telephonally? Telephonally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, man. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah you uh you shot me a text early and you were like hey i've got a little bit of a sickness going on don't want to infect you and i deeply appreciate that um being being a teacher and uh getting sick are not uh not my idea of a good time you have to create all those lesson plans and get someone else to teach your class so i i appreciate the uh the courtesy
2: (laughs) yeah although being a teacher you kind of live in a petri dish don't you you probably uh I've developed some immunities. Uh,
0: I think a little bit. I think probably to like the, you know, the main staples, you know, I try to – you know, if I know that a child has been sick or something, I make sure you know I wash the desks and you know wash my hands and all that stuff. And I, I kind of yeah. have a, a buffer and a barrier between me and the students. At that point, it's kind of like, <laughs> "Do not cross this line." Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you know, it's uh, it, it's always you know it, it's always can sneak up on you, and you know, particularly with teaching, you're up you're up late a lot of times, and you're not necessarily eating the healthiest. Um, so, you know, your immune system just gets shot real quick, but All right. so far, so far, so good. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully it stays strong to the end of the year,
1: but well,
2: um, I, hate, I hated to, I hated to just call in for two reasons. One is I just really enjoy being there with you. Yeah. You know, the chemistry of us in the same room and eye to eye at contact. So that's really nice. But also, as I mentioned before, it's the vanity factor. I think my voice sounds better if I'm there on your microphone. So, oh, well, I just have to take one for the team tonight.
0: Yeah, yeah. But that's all right. It's still, I'm looking forward to our continuation of last week's topic, which we're going to get to. In just a couple moments here, want to do another shout out to Mission Aware though. Once again, we're highlighting the five solas. We're on the 500th anniversary. or coming up on the 500th anniversary of uh, Martin Luther nailing those 95 theses to the uh, Wittenberg uh, church door. Um, which you know, it's it's interesting because do you th- don't don't you think like sometimes a lot of this stuff gets sensationalized at times? Like I, I remember learning about in school. Uh, you know Luther and the Wittenberg door, and how like oh this was so big and bold, nailing it to the door of the church. When the reality is, that's actually where announcements got posted.
2: Yeah, there were lots of things posted up there.
0: Yeah, you know, so this was just kind of like his hey, this is this is to the community here. Read this. Um, you know, the
2: difference is a lot of those other announcements were like milk toast. Yes, this <laughs> was like thunder and lightning. <laughs> and I mean, he brought a storm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, but it is, um, you know, it, it is an important, uh, you know, time and place and in history for us as believers, um, particularly for us as uh, Reformed believers. This is where – Yeah, Protestant. Protestant, yeah. This is where we, you know, get the idea of the Reformation, that, that process of separating from the Catholic Church, which, you know, Steve, I envision – Uh, Next week, you and I doing something a little bigger for that, talking more about the Reformation and talking about the impact and importance throughout history. But Mission Aware, um, who has basically created this whole line of apparel, of um, cups, of mugs, of tumblers, of swag, of journals – all these things that you can get that have these really great quotes from these uh, the, these people of faith, these big people of faith. They have quotes from Augustine. They have quotes from Spurgeon. They have quotes from Luther, Calvin. You can also get the silhouettes of these people. And right now we're highlighting the five solas in that series. They they just came out with a new uh, line. I think it was back in August or September. The five solas. Um, And everything on there is um, includes those five solas. And so check out Mission Aware for all of your reformed (laughs) needs. Steve. All right. All right. So excited to be, uh, you know, back talking about um, talking about looking for leaders, essentially. I mean, you know, we have kind of narrowed this down to more a more specific focus. You and I are looking more specifically at elders, um, I, I think if we were to go back, we could do, uh, another whole section on looking at deacons, looking at people who are able to serve in other capacities, but, but we're focusing specifically on leaders and on leaders who are responsible for the teaching of God's word in the church. And so Steve, go ahead and, um, just, uh, pick us up from last week, because I know that there was so much that, um, we didn't get to from that.
2: I'll be happy to. However, uh, I'd like to take a detour for just a second. Sure. Because we were just talking about um, being Reformed and being Protestant, and I don't know why it happened just now, but the word Protestant jogged something in my memory. I, I know a pastor in California, at least I- I now we're just acquaintances, I used to know him, used to be around him, and uh, he was a very unique and somewhat quirky individual, uh-huh. um, and he was... uh insistent that he was not a protestant he said i'm not protesting anything i haven't come out of anything i was never in the catholic church i have nothing to protest against them i'm in a long line of baptists who go all the way back to john the baptist (laughs) (laughs) Uh, isn't that interesting that's funny character that's funny so he was not a protestant what was
0: he a reformed dude yeah, very. He was, okay. <laughs> very, very
2: Reformed dude, yes. Nice, nice. That's Anyway, funny. so so yeah, we're in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. We were looking at last week at the qualifications for an elder, an overseer, a pastor. All three of those terms have nuances of meaning, but they uh, all speak of one and the same office. Um. So you can call me a pastor, you can call me an elder, you can call me an overseer, as they say, just don't call me late for dinner.
1: Right? That's right.
2: <laughs> uh, that was corny, corny, corny. So, uh, so Timothy and Titus, uh, last time we read First Timothy, let me read from Titus this time. It's a short passage. Yeah. And uh, Paul just writes, this is why I left you in Crete. So he's out there on this little island of Crete, so that you might put in order what remains and appoint elders in every town as I directed you, which kind of reads like uh, Titus is going to unilaterally just appoint people like there's no process. Uh, I guess we don't have to imagine though, that there was no process. Maybe Titus is going to appoint, but he's going to get the people's opinions first. He's going to somehow reach a consensus. We don't know, but he's appointing. He's the one appointing. Uh, So here are the qualifications. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, I want to return to that one for a second tonight. Yeah. Um, His children, I'm in the ESV and it says, and his children are believers. You know, the word is pistos, which means faithful, or it can mean believers. So there's a big fight here. Does this mean you have to have children who are believers? I would argue against that. Goodness, you can't control that. Mm-hmm. I can't make all my kids believers, right? Right. Uh, what if you, what if your children are two? Are they believers yet? Right. Uh, so uh, I think uh, faithful would be a much better translation. Children who are faithful, faithful to mom, faithful to dad not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Mm. For an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, Mm. a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Mm. So there we have the Titus version, very similar but not identical mm-hmm. to what's in First Timothy three. So if you don't mind, I want to return for a moment to uh the one woman man part, the husband of one wife. Yeah, absolutely. So I you know, you really got me interested last week, so I wanted to do a little research and the main thing I wanted to know is was there polygamy in the Greco Roman world? And basically the answer is no, it was not allowed. Polygamy was not permitted uh, among the Greeks and Romans. There was just very little, if any, polygamy uh, among barbarian peoples, certainly, um, but not in the Greek and Roman world. So this is probably not anti-polygamy. Now, if you have a culture where there is polygamy, like we were talking about last week, it would certainly have implications for that. Right. But uh, Paul probably wasn't thinking of polygamy. More likely, he was thinking of what the Romans did have, and that is you would have your wife and then you would also have your girlfriend. You would have your wife and you'd have your kept woman. You would have your wife mm. and you'd have your lover. Mm. And uh, the idea is, no, you can't have a wife and a lover. You can't have a wife and a kept woman. Mm. You've got to have one, 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 one woman.
1: Right, right. So,
2: um, yeah, that, that fits our culture more. I mean, we don't have polygamy where I live. Right. I know out of Utah, they might still, but there's no polygamy I know of in Harford County here in Maryland. Right. But there certainly are people who have a wife and a woman. Yeah. A wife and a lover. Yeah. And such a person is never to be a pastor, an elder, an overseer in Christ's church. Yeah. Yeah. Make, make sense? Does that fit with anything you've seen that there was actually no polygamy in the. First century Greek and Roman world.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I think so. I mean, I think, um, I, you know, like you said, I think in the, you know, the barbarian cultures, um, you know, the, the Germanic tribes, things like that. I, I mean, I think this is more, and I, I think this fits with what we see, particularly looking at the Old Testament. This is what we see more with tribal cultures. Uh, we even see this in the nation of Israel, where god doesn 't condone it one bit. We yeah, see uh-huh, the uh-huh. nation of Israel participating in this as a tribal Good. nation and then once they Good begin point. to move beyond that tribal that tribal state, uh, I think this begins to 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 go away less and less and less, um, uh, so that uh-huh. yeah, by the time we get into these major cities, these major cultures, these major hubs of of transport commerce, things like that. This is not, uh, this is not the issue. This is actually, um, looked down upon. Um, but like you said, the, the bigger issue, the bigger problem coming here is that, Hey, I've got my wife and I've got my girlfriend on the side. I've got my house and I've got my apartment that I'm paying with my secret credit card. Yes. That type yeah that's of thing. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I think that's great. I appreciate you taking the time to go back and, and, and look at that, Steve. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, well, it was it was fun checking it out a little bit. So, um, we talked about those qualifications last week. I don't know if we need to revisit that, but here's some stuff I'd like to talk about. Um, yeah, I don't know. Have you're not currently a pastor? Have you ever been? Have you been an elder, or overseer, or pastor?
0: Um, no, I mean, I I have in a loose sense. I have when I was actually when I was in high school. I was, um, kind of in training and would, um, preach sermons for my pastor when he would go away on wow, um, trips and school. things like that. Yeah. Um, and then, so not, not ever officially, but, um, you know, I, I, I did fulfill that role in capacities, um, from uh-huh. the time I was in high school and, and every once in a while I'll even, I'll even do that when I go home, I'll, um, occasionally if it, if it lines up on a Sunday that I'm home, I'll, um, I'll preach a sermon or something in my home church, but, uh, um, that's
2: so cool. Yeah. I wish I'd been doing that when I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: was, it was an awesome opportunity. And and for me, I felt like it was, it was really special too, because there was a lot of things that I was able to learn from earlier on, you know, I was kind of able to make some of those early Uh, quote unquote, pastoral mistakes or ministry mistakes earlier on, um, you know, and didn't have to, you know, kind of didn't have to bumble my way through it as I grew up, you know, because there's so many things that, that just apply that you take even into life, you know, with you. Uh, And, and I know you see this too, you know, being able to, to rightly speak the word of God to people, you know, where you're not just saying the first thing that, you know, comes to your mind or that flies off your lips, you know, you, you, you're willing to look at people a little more and say, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what you mean. That's a good point. Let me go look that up. You know, you have the wisdom to say things like that um, when you've been mm-hmm. in it a little while. So.
2: Yeah. You're you reminding me of uh, Jason Wallace, our music guy slash youth guy slash seminary student slash good friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, he and I meet pretty much every Wednesday for a while for mentoring and stuff and just fellowship and friendship. But there's a lot of mentoring that goes on there. And, you know, I've been in ministry a long time. I've noticed a few things along the way, (laughs) and he's real real curious. So uh, often, often, often we get into conversations about pastoral life, and he'll say, really? (laughs) is it it, it really that way do people do people do that is that what happens and uh it's it's just nice to be able to give him some eye openers and ideas he'll tell me i got to deal with this with this person over here what do you think and we'll talk about how you might approach it and it's so gratifying to be able to have learned a little bit from my many mistakes and be able to pass on some Ideas to a younger guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you're excited for that too, because like we were talking about last week. I can't remember if we were talking about this on the podcast or off the podcast. And this actually is going to be one of, i actually, I think this is one of the topics we're going to talk about tonight. So a little teaser, but the ability to be to to be able to pass the torch onto a younger generation.
2: Oh, that's good. Why don't we talk about that for a minute? Since All right, you just now raise raise it. So, um. So here's what often happens. Um, so what, what tends to happen in a lot of churches, and this is not healthy, but what tends to happen is as as pastors, elders, overseers age, uh, the younger men look younger and younger, and the younger men look less and less like real candidates for the office. So a lot of good young men just get shut out. And you know what they'll do? They'll say, all right, I'll go plant a church somewhere else. And they do. Yeah. Or I'll go somewhere else where uh, you know, they're going to, They're going to want to use me and put me in in places of responsibility. But, uh, you know, it's like when I was 35 and a pastor, and you look back at a 26-year-old, they they didn't look too young. They were close to me. Right. But now I'm I'm 63, and you look back at a 26-year-old, and, well, actually, with who I am, they still don't look... Too young, to me. <laughs> but but there are other guys to whom they do look too young. Yeah, uh, and and that's an obstacle churches have to overcome. Sometimes the eldership ages, then the church ages, and the whole thing starts heading down into the grave, and you're going to have a church dying. Yeah. Um, so hey, here's a word to older pastors, man, you know, mentor and get younger men in the ministry now, so you have a pipeline, and they're all coming along also you know we we're looking at a couple of pretty young guys for our eldership right now i'm mm-hmm. sixty three Stan another one of our elders is sixty two Jason one of our elders is forty so uh, we're looking around the church who we want to appoint and there are lots of men who could be elders yeah. they really are
1: yeah
2: you know uh, but we're we're just we're looking at some young men because yeah. we want the church to have a future also I think when when we appoint one or two much younger guys like one of them we're looking at is 26. When we appoint a 26-year-old, uh, I think all of his close friends and peers feel real good about that. Like we have we have someone who understands us and our place in life yeah. among the eldership. They feel represented. They'll feel understood. So it's a nice, nice, safe thing. But it's also a great way for us to get to bring guys along.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean, I agree. You know, I think about... Um, you know when i was um you know when I was twenty eight you know because because I look at you know qualifications for eldership, and it really doesn't say anything about age, but what it does talk about is the newness of the believer, you know making yeah, sure that you don't have right. someone new and and so I think about all right well when i was twenty eight that that would have meant that you know that that's twenty years I would have been a believer at that point, you know that's certainly a good long time yeah, certainly not new by by any uh any standard. Um, you yep. know, within that within that setting, and so I, I think it I think it is something that you know older churches do need to start looking at. They need to be less and less concerned with preserving the traditions of the church, um, and more in line with preserving the true gospel of the church. And if you have young men who are willing to preserve the the gospel of the church, then to me it it you know it falls upon you to look at those men and seriously start bringing them under your wing, seriously start mentoring them, seriously start moving them along to those places of leadership.
2: Um, yeah. So yeah. Giving them opportunities. Yeah. And uh, I, I know your church and you know a little bit about the church where I'm a pastor. And we, like you guys, we're really blessed. Yeah. With some very, very impressive young men. Yes, absolutely. Now, this also this also disappoints some older men who would, you know, love to finish out their years by being one of our elders. And yes. right now they're just gonna be overlooked. We don't need another guy who's sixty three. We really don't. Sure. We, we we need some younger blood. We got some sixty threes here. Right. So uh there have been some men kind of disappointed that they've been overlooked. Actually, there's another topic we can kinda meander into. Yeah. Uh, there are always I guess if you have any size church at all, there are always, always, always guys who are upset because they haven't been tapped on the shoulder. Hey, <laughs> we'd like you to consider being one of the elders. Yeah, yeah. There are there are always guys who imagine they should be a pastor. Always guys who imagine they should be preaching, they should be in leadership, and they have a very, in my opinion, they have a very unrealistic view of their own gifts, right. of their own abilities, right. of their own you know whatever. Um, and they get upset at you because you don't offer them the opportunities. Sometimes they get bitter at you and they, uh, I've had this happen many times. They imagine and become convinced of reasons why you're not inviting them into the eldership. Reasons that are bogus, reasons that are absolutely not rooted in reality at all. Uh, this has happened a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot over and over and over and over and over. So, uh, so recently, we had we we get lots. We're blessed with lots of visitors, lots of guests, and we had a guest family show up. And uh, uh, let's see, was it me who talked to them or somebody? No, it was me. I talked to them. No, no, no. I know what it is. They turned in one of our connection cards. Okay. And they wrote on and they wrote on it. We're he wrote on it. The husband wrote on it. We're looking for a church where my gifts can be recognized and my abilities can be used. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. So. So we were at an elders' meeting, and we read that card, and everyone went, Bzz. "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like not him, man, not, right. not that." <laughs> no. Yeah. Apparently, he just left somewhere where they said, "No, not you, not now." And he—he's uh, probably imagining what their reasons are for doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's you interesting. Oh, go ahead.
2: Have you seen such things in your life in your church?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean to me it's it's interesting because I find that the people who typically are – and I mean I think this goes to one of the things that you and I talked about last week with people not really being able to get in a word in edge wise with some people. The people yeah. who are always the loudest and the most boisterous about their gifts and abilities are the ones who tend to not <laughs> be as gifted and able as they yeah. think they are. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> I, you know, and and that's and that's a lot of times unfortunate because I think, I think at the very least there is some kind of ember or spark in there that that may um, draw people to that kind of person to to a certain extent. I think I think once you start getting more and more involved with someone like that, the the charisma kind of wears off, and you and you see them uh, for who they are. But I think there is there is a spark almost because I I think there's this interesting dichotomy of people who want to lead and then people who want to be led. I don't think everyone wants to lead. I do think that there are people who just want to be led. And so, you know, somebody who's willing to step up and say, Hey, I want to lead people. I, I think to a certain extent that's commendable, but I think, you know, there's, there's also something to be very cautious of when they're constantly talking about me, 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 I, 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 you know, and, and you have to, you just have to be aware and you have to be discerning
2: of that. Um, so very, very perceptive, man. Very perceptive. By the way, excuse me. Uh, since I was in junior high school, I had people tell me, you know, you you have some leadership ability. You should be a leader. You are a leader. You're this. And, uh, I, you know, I guess maybe some of that's true, but I don't have, I don't feel any need to have an office or a title, or a name or to be in leadership. If somebody else can lead it all, bless yeah. them, bless yeah. them. Just just, you know, let me preach, let me be with people, let me counsel, let me encourage, let me mentor. Yeah. Uh let me answer a ton of emails and Facebook messages and text messages and all that. Uh and let somebody else do all the hard leadership stuff. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. So when when a guy's like dying to be in the office, dying to have that position, yeah, maybe there's something wrong there. And like you said, there, there's a spark to uh, to, uh, to some of his friends. He, he might look real good. They might want to take up his cause. Right. But like you said, when you get to know him better, you realize, oh, okay, not so good. <laughs> yeah. You're probably not old enough to remember this. Do you remember the old uh, sun-kissed tuna commercials that, where they said, sorry, Charlie? Uh, vague, that? uh, vaguely, vaguely. <laughs> I'm I'm dating myself. All right. <laughs> so you know, Charlie was this tuna down in the bottom of the sea, and they yep. lower a hook, and he he wants to bite on it and get pulled up. But they say, "Sorry, Charlie, Sunkiss only accepts the best tuna," or something like that. <laughs> so I, I've often thought, I've often thought, when a guy's like making noise, I want to be an elder. I want to be an elder. I ought to be an elder. And I can tell he's mad at me. He's not an elder. He's upset. He's agitated. I, I In my mind, I say, "Sorry, Charlie." Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. No, and I, and I think it is it is so important to you know look at leaders. You know, one of the things that I know our our church started doing was they I don't know if they still do this or not, but I know that there was a period of time where they stopped actually going up and tapping on people's shoulders where they said, "Look, if you think you're interested in leadership, we want you to come and talk to us about it. So we want you to initiate that if you think God has gifted you in that." And I think there's some prudence and wisdom in that, but I think there's a difference between, you know what, I think there's some leadership in me. I think people are drawn to me. Can you work with me to cultivate that to see if this is where I should go as opposed to, you know, beating your chest? Like, no, what about me?
2: What about me? (laughs) Beating your chest, that's pretty good.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's like the Tarzan approach, you know, puff up, beat the chest, and, you know, oh,
2: And I ought to be noticed, Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, so um, getting some younger guys in there is a good idea, older men. Uh, what are some other reasons that we might overlook somebody when generally he's a pretty good man. He could be an elder somewhere. He fits these qualifications in Timothy and Titus. But um, s- suppose you have a guy who just has a very different philosophy of ministry mm. than than the existing eldership, than the current church. Mm. Um you know, some diversity is a great idea. It's good to have some other ideas show up, but if it's a totally, a really different philosophy of ministry, it's probably just not going to work. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, um, you know, we used to be a reformed Baptist church. We emerged from that. And now we're a, I don't know what we are. <laughs> <laughs> we're a, uh, we're a, uh, well, we're cornerstone community church. Right. And we're a mix of all kinds of different people Reformed, not reformed and whatever. Um, so, uh, if, if you have a guy who's just insistent that, you know, the goal of the church is to find believers and make them reformed, mm. and there are guys like that, man, there are guys like that. You know, yeah. what we're fishing for is mature believers, who we can turn them into reformed, and then there's great rejoicing in heaven when one believer becomes reformed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... If that's his philosophy of ministry, and that's not mine, we're probably not going to work together in harmony and peace. It's probably just a dumb idea to appoint him as an elder. Yeah. but he might want to be an elder so he can come in and change things and fix things. And
0: right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think uh, you know one of the one of the methods that um, CFC where I attend uh, has adopted in terms of just kind of trying to understand the breakdown of of the church. You know, you you have these you know green light, yellow light, red light issues that you talk about. And, and you really have those all throughout life. You know, I mean, the green light issues are the issues that we can all, you know, just sail clear on. It's like, you know what? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's sitting on the throne. You know, he is the savior of humanity. You know, all the essential things that it's like, you know what? Yeah, let's let's keep going, man. Let's keep trucking on this. This is This is awesome. This is great. And then you come to some yellow light issues, you know, and those are things that don't they're they're conscience issues you know they're things that yeah, yeah. that that should you know kind of maybe slow down all right let's talk about this but we could probably keep going after we talk about this and then there are definitely the red light issues there are the things that just stop you and say you know what um that's cool but but we're headed in two different directions. So this is where I'm going to make my right turn. And this is where, you know, you make your left turn, or this is where I'm going straight and you need to make your left turn because we're not, we're not seeing eye to eye on this issue. And I think you have those different tiers within the church where everybody as so everyone who goes to church and I, I'm not saying a member, but everyone who goes to church, to a certain extent can just kind of flow in those green light areas where you understand that, Hey, this is, this is who we are. This is the church. This is what we're doing. You know, if you're a believer, you know, please come attend. If you're not a believer, please come and attend so that we can share the gospel with you. You know, this is our goal. This is our mission. And then you kind of get to some yellow light issues, even within the church where you have differences of, Oh, well, this person's reformed. This one's not, You know, and you kind of pause, but it's like, you know what, this really isn't interrupting anything in terms of the way that I can fellowship with this person, you know, so we can fellowship together. And then you start looking at the leadership positions and it's like, you know what, there are a lot more red lights at that leadership position where, where you have to be more discerning Mm -hmm. about the people who are, who are serving in that role, you know, making sure that, you know, if. Um, you know, I know I know of some churches who have very diverse, you know, eldership teams, and it's a struggle for them, but they make it work. Um, and, I like that. And, you know, they're like, but but they're like, look, these things that you might think and believe, we are not going to make these issues. Like, you yeah, need to understand, like this is where the church is, and so we are never going to bring that up for a vote and for a change and for this and for that. So just understand that coming in. And then there are others who have just decided, you know what, we want to avoid the, you know, leadership is hard enough, and it's a struggle enough within the church, and so we want to avoid some of those things, and so we want to make sure that, that at those important things that, you know what, we are all like-minded. So, you know, baptism, for instance, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we don't have someone coming in, our church baptizes by immersion, as um, does yours, Correct. Yes, we do. Yeah, um, And so we want to make sure that we're not going to have an elder in there who's like, well, I'm all for pedo-baptism and we need to make sure that we are, you know, that I get that agenda on the board. We're just going to kind of cut that one off at the tail. This is how we baptized. You know, you either believe that this is right and this is what we're going to do. And if you don't, okay, well, that's cool. I hope you continue to fellowship with us. But, you know, this is going to kind of be an issue if you're going to make this an issue.
2: Yeah, very good. I'm right with you, and uh, one of the guys we're looking at to be an elder in our church right now, and of course I won't name him. Uh, great guy. I really like him. Hope this works for him. Um, I, I do not know whether he is reformed in his theology. I do not know if he could even articulate what the issues are. I do not know
1: mm. uh,
2: the exist the three elders that we have now, plus uh, one guy who meets with our elders regularly. He's part of our elders' meetings because we're mentoring him. Uh, all, all four of us would be Reformed in our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation. And I don't know if this guy is, and you know what? I mean, this some of the hearers here might be aghast, but I don't care.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: I don't care. He's, he's a great guy. We're not going to fight about that. He can come on, and if he's something less than five-point <laughs> Reformed Calvinistic, <Right. laughs> um, I'm okay with that, because you know what? This guy preaches the gospel. He loves speaking uh, people, he's got a zeal and a passion for Christ's kingdom that is like almost unsurpassed. Yeah. Uh, he's a great, great guy. He's a man of prayer. He's got a wonderful family. From everything I can see, they just look like great people. I love his kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd like like him to be an elder, and I don't really care if he's reformed or not because our big agenda is not. That's not one of our core doctrines. We need to get everybody to be reformed, right? And we want to get everybody to be saved and loving Christ and loving people. That's right. our big agenda. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So here's here's another thing. Um, uh, we probably have I'm, I'm guessing, pure guess. Maybe I'm way off here. We probably have 15 guys in our church who could be an elder, mm-hmm. who could pass First Timothy three and Titus chapter one. It's probably 15 guys.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But we don't need 15 elders with our size church. My goodness, we don't need 15 elders. Mm. That would really be top heavy. And you know how do you have an elders meeting with fifteen guys there? Be a different animal than what we have now, right? right. So, so we have to make decisions. And why would we make decisions? Well, another guy that we're looking at right now leads a community group, and he he is blessed to lead like the model community group in our whole church. Like it is an amazing community group, and they have grown and grown and grown and multiplied and grown and grown and grown again. And they're always full, and people are trying to get in it. Uh, He and his wife just do such a good job. Now, we need an elder who can oversee all of our community groups. Mm. So when we look around the church and here's these 15 guys who could all be elders, we zero in on this guy and say, yeah, but we need one who can oversee community groups. And guess what? This guy obviously knows what to do with a community group. He has the best one we have, the healthiest one we have, the most multiplying one that we have. I'd like to see him become an elder and he'd be the elder who is over our community groups.
1: Mm.
2: And he could spread the DNA that he has in his group to all the other groups. Mm. So, you know, there are reasons why you'd look at the fifteen, and why you'd pick one yep. and, and and not others. It's based on what does what does our church need mm-hmm. right now.
0: Yeah. No, and I I think that's a good point. I think, you know, I teach I teach middle schoolers and it's such an interesting dynamic because there's always an aspect of, you know, oh. Uh, oh, still there, Steve? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, you know, there's always an interesting dynamic of, you know, quote-unquote fairness and and well that's not fair, you know, blah blah. And um, you know, my my favorite line to my students is just, you know what, buddy? Life's not fair. Um, you know, you you just,
2: you learn it the better. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, and, you know, we in the church oftentimes I think get that mentality as well, you know, well, life's not fair, you know, and I, I look back all throughout, particularly for us people who, who, you know, believe in the absolute sovereignty of God and, you know, that, that reform, you know, God is in all things. He, you know, he has chosen, he has called us, you know, that is the model that we see in the Bible. God calls, God chooses. We see that when Christ comes in the New Testament. God calls 12. There were hundreds, probably thousands, who were willing to line up and be Christ's disciple, but he called 12. He chose 12. Um, wow, good point. And then, and then we get into you know, the apostles. They're going out, and they are calling others to be elders. And not everyone is having the opportunity to to do this job because there are such strict requirements there are things that are going on with no the this is what we're looking for these are the people that we have called that that have come to us that we've trained that we you know paul puts timothy at the church in ephesus to be the overseer there because paul spent years with timothy training him working with him you know grooming him for that position and that's what we need to keep in mind: is that Paul didn't go out and you know just say, "All right, I'm just going to throw you guys here and there and everywhere." No, no, no. These people were called and chosen to for those roles.
2: Nice, very nice. So <laughs> here's another one. Uh, what do you think of this? Um, any guy that we want to appoint as an elder, this sounds awful, but it's true. He has to like my preaching. <laughs> There are always, always, always people in every church who don't like the preaching. They're there for some reason. Their husband wants them there. Their wife wants them there. They want their kids in the kids' ministry. They got there and made a lot of friends before they realized they don't really like the preaching style. There are always, there, there are always, always, always people who talk to the preacher about his preaching. I'd like you to be more this way. I think you should be more that way. And they cancel each other out. You know, yeah. Yeah. You should be louder, you should be quieter. Not That's not a real example, but um, they give opposite ideas. And, uh, you know, you can't be everything to everybody, um, but if they're going to be one of the leaders in the church, they've got to at least like the ministry. Do you think, or am I overlooking something?
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think you do need to like the preacher. I think you do need, do need to like the preaching, because if you think about it, this is the person who you are... Um, holding up as, as the head of the church almost, you know? And so if you're going to be going around talking down um, the preaching and what he's saying and things like that, it's, it's really going to lead to, you know, some, some problems and some conflicts, Um, you know, and, and again, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that you've got to agree with the person on every point and everything that they say. I mean, Greg and I have, you know, our disagreements on things, but at the end of the day, He's someone that I would you know, tell anyone, hey, what, you know, I, I would be more than happy if I had a friend who was an unbeliever to say, hey, why don't you come and check out our church? Because I believe that the preaching is solid. I know that they're going to hear the gospel. I know that they're going to feel loved and welcome. And as, as the lead pastor is kind of the face of the church, Greg is a very personable person um, who I know would just, you know, come right in and, you know, shake the hand and just, you know, be invested in that person as I know you are as well. You know, uh, I've recommended your church to, um, people on several different occasions as well. It's like, Hey, yeah, my buddy, Steve, he's got a church down the road. I, th- I, I think you should go check it out. I think it would be great. I know you're going to hear, you know, good, solid <laughs> biblical preaching there. And so, you know, like I'm not, while I love Greg and I love his preaching, I'm also not locked into being like my church is the only church that you should go to. Um,
2: so when you send people our way, is that because you saw problems and you wanted to get rid of them? And will take them? we'll send them down to Steve. That's
0: right. Here are people who have conflicts. <laughs> Uh, no, you know it's funny because I, I think I think as Christians we should feel free to be like you know what as long as you are attending a solid Bible believing church that preaches the gospel then uh, it it really it doesn't matter where you go and so you know for some people it was just like yeah just where we're located now in Forest Hill it's a little further off the beaten path for them where you're kind of right off ninety five so it's like it, it's a it's a faster shot for them to get there. Uh Um, you know, so, so that type of thing where it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, when you've got a family and you've got kids and you're trying to wrestle kids into the car and things like that, sometimes, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of driving or of, you -hmm. know, being able to save that driving time. Yeah, it's huge for some makes people. Makes a big difference,
2: doesn't it? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You know, and so to me, I think you you want to be supportive of your pastor. You want to feel confident in in what they're preaching and how they're preaching it. But you also don't want to be so locked into your church that you're like, oh no, I you know you, you shouldn't go anywhere else. You know, and, and I think you feel the same way, Steve. That you would be more than willing. <laughs> You know, to recommend somebody, maybe somebody who's you know driving up in Cecil County off that Route One way to be like, hey, yeah, why don't you check out Christ Fellowship? You know, I know the pastor there, great guy. You know, I, I understand that it's a little far down this way for you. So,
2: yeah, actually, two weeks ago, I had this uh, uh, happen to me. A guy showed up. It was his first Sunday at our church. He found us via Acts twenty nine. We're members. Oh of yeah, yeah, and. Uh, after church, he grabbed me and said, "Hey, man, I'm, I just moved to Baltimore City. My job took me there, and i don 't even have a car, and I had to Uber up here, and that cost me thirty dollars mm-hmm. and do you know any good, do you know any good churches in yeah. the city?" I thought, "Oh yeah, man here 's two. I showed them on my phone here 's the website here 's who they are. He took pictures of them off of my phone, and uh, it was you know, i 'm happy to recommend another place to him. There was another person this week I talked to, and uh, they 're looking at our church, but I know they 're not a good fit. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I recommended another church to them. Hey, you might want to check these guys out. So long as you're, you know, checking around, right? And right. He'll, he'll really fit over there way better, and he won't like us eventually. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to send. Yeah, you know, let's get Christians in churches they can love, huh?
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's an important aspect of leadership as well. Being able to discern and being able, you know, I mean, you kind of hear it in the world. Being able to read someone you know having that yes. ability to look at and be able to read people and you know just get a sense of who they are and i i think that is an important part of leadership being able to get a sense of people you know i mean if you're if you're the type of leader who's always going to get taken advantage of who's always going to get fleeced then you know that's kind of that's transferring down into the church and the ability for the church to function well <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's going to hurt things, and over time, it'll really hurt things because it happens again and again and again.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. The, man, the, in a church, the cumulative effect of things is, is great. So, a, a pastoral weakness multiplied out over many years leads to quite a weakness in a church, quite a problem in a church. Yeah, so, and I, yes,
0: and I think you know, I think you know, maybe um, you know, as we're talking, you know, some of these things that aren't necessarily specifically mentioned in scripture, I, I think some of these things are important for people to be thinking about, you know, in, in leadership, you know, if you've got a guy and, you know, let's say he's got, he's got such a heart for, for, for people in terms of, you know, he, he's willing to go out and give you the shirt off his back. He's willing to go out and, you know, hand the guy on the, you know, street corner, $50 and, you know, all those things. And, and he doesn't think twice about it. For a person you know for somebody who you know personally lives their life like that, I think that 's a great thing. But when you start now bringing that kind of that mentality into into a larger setting where you 're placing them in leadership and it 's like oh yeah let 's just you know give with reckless abandon, not really thinking about you know the consequences of well, wait a minute, do we really want to give to this organization because of who they represent and what they represent, and you know we need to be a little bit more careful you know in in these things. And you know, to me, it, it's it behooves leaders to look at people who are interested in leadership and look at their personalities and to be able to distinguish and say, you know what, I think this person is great. I think they are they are a blessing. I think they're someone who is a tremendous blessing to others, but I think they're a little too naive you know mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. it comes to the world you know the the bible tells us to be you know wise as serpents and innocent as doves and they're just a little more innocent as dove than they are wise as serpent <laughs>
2: that's exactly right man you you got your finger right on some people's pulse so, and uh it'll lead to problems in the eldership because then when other sh- other shepherds are wise as serpents the person who's only harmless as doves just you know won't won't like it won't get it won't right. be able to go along yeah. lead to problems. Hey, here's here's something that's on my druthers list. Do you know that word? If I had my druthers, you Yes, you've heard that. yes. So here's something on my druthers list. Uh, a guy doesn't have to have this. It's not in 1 Timothy 3. It's not in Titus 1. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say every elder in an eldership needs to have this, but it sure helps if some of them have this. Mm-hmm. And that is, I'll put it this way and then I'll explain it. I, I like it when a guy is in the game. Mm-hmm. That is to say, let's say a guy wants to play football hmm and you ask him okay well you know tell me wh- what do you know about what teams and what teams doing what and he can't name anybody and he can't name any team and he can't name any of the plays that x team uses right and he can't he doesn't know the stats on that quarterback and uh, uh, do i want him playing on my pro team yeah probably not he's not in the game right it's kind of the same in in the pastoral world there, there's a lot going on in the world now and via the web we can learn and awful lot about other churches and church leaders and from other churches and organizations and so on. And if a guy is in the game, he's, uh, he's tapping into those resources. He's learning from those resources. Mm -hmm. He's in touch with what other churches are doing, what other people are doing, what uh, other organizations are recommending, what church leaders are talking about. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really, really big help. Yeah. So in our eldership, we have one guy I'm thinking of besides me, I hope. (laughs) <laughs> who's, who's very definitely that way uh very much in the game, and then others who are not as much in the game, it would help if everybody was yeah, you ever thought about that
0: yeah, no, and i think i I definitely think there's something to that, you know, particularly on as Americans, it's so easy to get caught up in our life and what's going on here in America and the news that's going on in America and we we really are a media driven sensationalist celebrity driven news and to me it's important to you know read about oh whoa there, there was a genocide that just happened over the weekend in Africa you know there were you know 400 people killed in a shooting in you know such country and to me it's important to not just understand what's going on locally to be able to put a pulse on that, but to be able to internationally put a pulse on things as well and and get a feel for that, to be able to talk to your congregation, because as the body of Christ, we want to be bigger and more mindful than just what's going on in the United States. We want Mm -hmm. to have an understanding that, wait a minute, my brothers and sisters in China, are literally losing their lives because of their faith. My brothers and sisters over in the Middle East are being tortured on a daily basis for their faith. North Korea, they're yeah. in prison. Yeah. They're dying in prisons. And so to me, it's important to be able to to know those things and to be able to report on those things um, and and speak intelligently about them, to remind the body of believers how truly... Uh, Fortunate we are to be living in America. Um, You know, I I hate Mm. I I hate to use the word blessed because I think I think that those people in those countries are just as blessed as we are um, here in America. So I I hate to use that word, but I think I think we certainly are so fortunate that God has allowed us to be born and live and grow up here, where we can freely express our faith and we don't have to worry about you know somebody coming up and you know, torturing us. We don't have to worry about being thrown in prison for that. Um,
2: it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And and I know that, you know, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Yes. That saying has been around a long time and it, it stands firm. It's been proven. But uh, I'd really rather not find out. Yeah. I'd really rather not, you know, my name is Stephen and the first martyr in the church history was named Stephen. That's right. uh, And they stoned him with stones. Yeah. I'd rather that I don't get stoned with stones. That doesn't seem very pleasant. Yeah. But on the other hand, if the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church, then Lord, if that's what it takes, bring it on. I I want to be prepared for that. Yeah. But give me grace, please. I'm a weak man. Please, please, please give me grace and hold me up. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think it's important that we are, we are up to date on, on things that are going on. And like you said, not even on just the current goings on of news and things like that, but also the current goings on of, of what, what the state of the church looks like in America. Because I think it's easy to become um, cynical of, uh, of what people are preaching um, it, around you know particularly in america and and you know some of the some of the trash that 's being preached but i, I think I think it 's important first of all to be aware of that to be able to preach against that, but I think second it 's also important to know the good that the church is doing in America, you know when all these hurricanes hit down in Texas, you know, the churches, you know, who are the first responders jumping in and being, you know, opening their doors. And, you know, you had that one article about Joel Osteen, but you know what, let's, let's put that on hold. Let's forget about that for a second, because let's look at all of the churches in the areas that were doing great things to help these people.
2: Sweet, man. Yeah. And I don't know if the, uh, Washington, What is it, Washington Times, Washington Post? I don't know if they they covered those stories, did they? No, no. (laughs) They don't want that to be known so much. Yeah. Hey, I'm looking over in Acts chapter 20. Hmm. Uh, The Apostle Paul is with the Ephesian elders for his last time. So 1 Timothy is written to Timothy in Ephesus, same group, same guys, same elders. And Paul is with them here out in a town called Miletus. Mm -hmm. He's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem, so he doesn't want to make this trip over to Ephesus. He calls them out to him in Miletus and gives them some words. And uh, I love one of the things where he says, uh, verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone—that's pretty amazing. But yeah. here are the here are the next words: with tears,
1: mm.
2: with tears, with tears. Wow! Yeah. I, mean, I think of the Apostle Paul as like, you know, a uh, a marine. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's a drill sergeant. He's uh, you know a tough dude. Uh, no, he was a guy who cried a lot. He yeah. had a lot of he had a lot of tears because he cared for people so much and felt their pains and so on. Uh, I like that.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It shows that sympathy, that, that ability to sympathize and empathize with people. That is just, it's so crucial to meeting people where they are.
2: Yeah. And I think uh, it would be a great idea to have some pastors in your group who have the gift of mercy. Mm. Like I think one of ours probably does. Um, some Some nationally known preachers who take a lot of heat. Because they tend to preach topically, and their topics are usually to the effect of "life is hard, here let me help you." Yeah. Life is rough. Here, let me hold you up. Life is difficult. Let me encourage you. Uh, life is challenging. Let me help you with you know, getting through it. And they preach that kind of sermon all the time, and they get they get um, they get criticized a lot for that. I think they probably just have a big dose of the gift of mercy. And they're really feeling people's hurts, and they want to really help. Mm. So you know, I'm all right with those preachers. I'm all right with that they choose those topics a lot. Mm. I actually think uh, to go back a generation and, and name one of them, I think Chuck Swindoll fits that mold. Mm. A whole lot of his preaching is, uh, well, hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. It's, it's a, and he tells a lot of stories. I get in trouble for telling stories. I have people say, "Oh, you you tell stories. I don't want to hear stories." I, well, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> right. learn from G Je- learn from Jesus. He's a right. master storyteller. Uh, but Chuck Swindoll, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a large gift of mercy. He's often trying to encourage the mm-hmm. hurting people. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think, you know, I think it's important like you said going back to having, seeing that there is a deficiency or if there's a deficiency in your eldership team and wanting to bring someone on to fill that deficiency, you know, wanting to bring someone on who can do that, you know?
2: Yeah. If we have a bunch of militant dudes, let's not get one more militant dude, right? Right.
0: Right. Yeah. I know, you know, I know for me personally, um, you know, times that I've, um, you know, preached and, you know, had that had that opportunity, you know, it really it it wasn't heavy in the um, you know, mourning and suffering and things like that because I've been through I mean, I've been through a lot in my lifetime. You know, my father died when I was fourteen and, you Man. know, problems and things like that. But like for me it was never um there was always a sense that God is in control. That was never, I never questioned that. I never came into conflict with that. And so for me, it's, it's difficult to relate to someone who's going through a very emotional time with grief. I, you know, I, I would be the last person that I would ever call in order to deal with someone in their grief because I just, I I had a very different experience and I handle grief very differently than many people. But I still, I I think it's so important that you have somebody who can, you know, who can who can shed tears. So, yeah, I mean, I can sit there and I can keep my mouth shut while people are going through and talking through their their grief, you know, and and I think there is some value to that. You know, I remember um, hearing long ago that the best thing Job's friends ever did for him was those seven days that they just sat (laughs) in silence with him. (laughs) Uh Um, you know, and so I can, I can certainly do that. You know, I can sit there and I can just be there for someone, but when it comes to like actually getting into the mindset of what they're going through, um, I I have a difficult time doing that in that case. And, you know, fortunately for me, I do know other people like me who, who mourn and grieve very differently than, than most people. Those are the people that I can relate to. Those are the people that in their grief, I, you know, I'm able to be of comfort to and help to, because, you know, they're not, they're, they're not, you know, just in that state of shock where they're, they just kind of shut down or they retreat or, you know, whatever it is. It's just, it's, it's another aspect of, it's just another aspect of life. It's, it's a a dank, depressing aspect, but it is another aspect and, um, you know, it's, Again, it's just one of those things where, uh, oh man, do we, do we ever need people? Do we ever need pastors who can stand up behind the pulpit and weep with those who weep and show Mm -hmm. that, you know what, God is, God is weeping with you. We know that because we see that Jesus wept, um, You know, and so we know that, you know, we also know from the Psalms, you know, God, we're told that God collects tears in the bottles, you know. um, Yeah, that's good. And, you know, so we know that God cares about that and that he is there in the trenches with you. Um, I'm more the person that can give the heady theological discussion on grief and how to do it. But when it actually comes to people who are, who are just truly a mess in their grief, I, I do, I struggle with that. And, you know, just throwing that out there. Like if, if you're ever in a place where you're just, you want somebody who is there with you, crying with you, experiencing this with you. I am not the person to call. <laughs> uh, Don't turn to you. Yeah. Huh? I, you know, oh, I will, man. I will come over and I will sit in silence with you. I will let you talk. I will let you scream. I will let you yell. I will, And I will have absolutely no reaction to it. That's just um, wow.
2: I wish I could be that way. I'm the opposite, man. And I think here's why. I've had to uh, now. You know, I ought to play the world's smallest violin while I say this. (laughs) I've really had to suffer some things. There's there's been stuff that has really taken me to the limits of. Can I, can I endure this? Can I stand this? Do I have to deal with this? Sure. And, and even then, you know, the, the why question. Why, Lord? What possible purpose right. is there for bringing this into my life? Why, 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 why? Yeah. Suffering and all that. Well, you know what? It turns out that um, I'm way, way, way better being able to weep with those who weep now because i understand pain now yeah i didn't understand it before now i get it yeah and when they say you know i'm really hurting i can immediately know i know what that feels like yeah i know what that is and i'm too much the other way man i i get weeping moist eyes really easily and i try to you know like force myself like i'll say to myself come on you're a big bad biker dude <laughs> <laughs> you know, and try try to make myself be a man yeah um yeah I, uh, it it I is an be...
0: interesting uh dynamic though because you know there are times where I wish you know I could be more like you where you know it's like I could see that this person you know you know they're almost looking at me like i 'm uncaring and unfeeling and it's not it's <laughs> not that i don't care and it 's not that i don't um it's not that i don't uh it's not that i haven 't been in that situation before it's just my my response to the situation is just so, uh, so different. It is mm. just you know I'm mm. I'm the type of person when you know I see somebody trip and fall on the street I'm going to laugh first and then um. I'll go up and find out if they're okay.
2: Um, I keep my eye on you, man. I
0: know, right? <laughs> not that i would actually go and trip someone on the street but if i see that happen i would definitely laugh first and then i would go to make sure that they were okay but but my my initial reaction to something like that is to, you know my sturd- my students will get hurt all the time and they're like mr bell you're just so uncaring because because i'll laugh you know it's like they tripped and fell it's like oh my gosh that was hysterical i'll go that and make like-
2: sure they're okay but you know that's just sounds like sounds like a gift to me enjoy it man i like that Hey, let me let me switch gears to another thing here. Um, so we're talking about uh, things that can qualify or disqualify a man from being on an eldership. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the guy's wife. Mm. The guy's wife. Now, in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, there are no qualifications for an elder's wife. Yeah, But there is a section in 1 Timothy 3 on qualifications for deacons, and then it says, and their wives, likewise, must be, Mm. and then it gives some qualifications. So it's commonly reasoned that uh, if these things must be so of a deacon's wife, then they certainly must also be so of the elder's wife, so we can read these things back into uh, and and elder, their wives must be dignified, not slanderers, sober minded, Mm -hmm. faithful in all things. And just, uh, I'm pointing that out to say this, when you look at a guy, man, you really want to look at his wife.
1: You want to look at
2: his marriage too, but you really want to look at his wife. Um, is she somebody who's got like bitter behind the scenes, whispering things in his ear? Um, yeah, is she going to turn him against this person or against that idea or whatever? Or is she a, reasonable, happy, sane person. Yeah. Uh check out check out the wife. Uh yeah. I speak from experience. There have been some bad things happen.
0: Yeah, no, I you know, I think that's great because I know um, you know, I was in I was in ministry for a brief period of time. Um and I remember my wife was a huge source of comfort and, and a, huge, a huge source of reason too because those days that I was just se- feeling so frustrated with someone and, you know, just wanted to wring their neck, you know, my wife was the voice of reason to be like, remember, you know, that, you know, we're all works in progress. God is still redeeming all of us his, you know, grace and, you know, the gospel and all of those things. And it's like, oh, okay, um, you know, hmm. there. For me, it really she was you know and and, and a lot of times it wasn 't necessarily what 's interesting is it wasn 't necessarily with um the the congregation or the people that I was frustrated with it was with the other people on the elder team um, wow you know getting getting frustrated with you know meetings and you know it it seems like man we you know we just had a two or three hour meeting, and we really i, I don 't feel like we really accomplished anything mm-hmm. um, you know and so for her, it was Uh, For me, she was just a great sense of, like I said, just comfort and reason to remind me that, you know, everybody, you know, everybody is a sinner. Everybody's saved by God's grace, you know, and, and, you know, you need to be a little bit more patient when, you know, um, just in understanding people and where they're coming from and trying to give them an ear. Um, So, you know, I, I definitely agree with that.
2: Yeah, you know, you're reminding me, this is a different topic now, but you're reminding me of uh, uh, something I've seen more than once, where there is a congregational government and they have to have congregational meetings to mm. decide on almost anything. Yeah. I, I, knew, I knew a pastor, he was up the street from where I was pastoring, he was in another church, and the, the, the letters of the name of their church were falling off their sign, they were missing some letters. Oh, wow. So, so like instead of Baptist, it said Baptist.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: and, and it was that way for months and months and months and months. And I talked to him about it, you know, what's going on with a sign. And he said, we can't agree at our business meeting. We can't agree on what we want to do with the sign, how much we want to pay. Who do we want to have? Do we want to do a new sign or fix the old one? And imagine that. You're having church meetings.
0: About a sign.
2: <laughs> about a sign. Yeah. And it goes on for months and months and months. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me from congregational church government. Yes, <laughs>
0: absolutely. Oh my word, absolutely. Actually, it's funny because um, now that you say that, um, you know, the, the conflict that I had was um, with another elder, um, but it wasn't a it wasn't a congregational church. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. That's funny. Pretty bad. That's funny, man. Well, we are. Um, You know, we're, we're cresting an hour here and I know that there was still so much we wanted to talk about. Um, I, you know, I, what I'd like to do, Steve, if you're, if you're good with it, because I think, um, you know, there was still another topic that we wanted to get into that I had, which I think we can get into a little later. Um, but I, you know, I don't want to make a part three. I, I, I think we've really talked about, you know, um, the, the eldership thing, um, quite a bit for now, you know, an hour last week, an hour this week. And, you know, I want to, I want to move into something new. We've got some exciting books that we've been reading and going over. We've got um, some exciting guests that we're going to be having on in the near future here. Um, So really looking forward to that. Um, But, you know, just want to, you know, put it out there to people that, um, you know, send us your ideas and topics. We've already gotten several ideas and topics for. Um, conversations and for podcasts that people want us to do. So when you and I meet Steve, we'll have to go over some of those. Uh, but this has been so great. Thank you so much, Steve. I want to go ahead and just give you the last word as we close out, you know, this uh, looking for leaders, you know,
2: same word as last week. Be nice to mm. your pastors. Mm.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off now, Steve. We just rocked the Casba. These go to eleven.